Nice to have you back. Bonjour. Comment ça va? Hola. Comment ça? I mean, my Spanish is super limited, so it's stopping there. My French, though, I did go to French immersion school, and my mom wanted us when we were kids to learn another language. She speaks like, I don't know, seven languages or something. And she wanted us to learn another language, not only to be able to bridge ourselves internationally, but also to stretch our minds, to go outside of our myopic you know, very um, self-focused culture that we can have sometimes. You know, I found this very fascinating when we travel to other countries. We sort of are like, oh, you don't speak English. Uh, this is at least true in my experience of, you know, being a Canadian and traveling. The sort of like narrative that we travel with is like, oh, they don't speak English. <laughs> Maybe we should learn their language since we're in their home. God forbid, right? And I think that's really such a bridge to so many things, which is, learning things that are challenging for us, but also not expecting people to always meet us where we are and sitting on this pious throne of this is what I think, this is what I believe, this is where I'm at, come to me versus let's grow and expand towards each other. And every opposing belief is really about expanding your own belief in order to integrate and just understand another to understand someone's point of view, you don't have to agree with it. And that's, we're in a real polarizing time where two people can't be right at the same time. And in relationship, in conflict, it's so important that we can recognize that our partner can be right, but we might not agree with them. Because two people can experience the same thing very differently. Especially when we experience something like a conflict, we usually bring so much of our old story into that conversation. You know, and that... That is just one of the important aspects of growing our emotional intelligence, growing the way we think about relationship and the space for who's home when we're in conflict. And what I mean by that is, who's in your psyche? Are you operating from your heart or are you operating reactively, which reactivity is generally childlike? You know, when I ask people, um, when you get really triggered, when you get really flooded, how old are you? And people will usually come up with a range of ages. You know, it might not be specifically seven, but it will generally be a range of ages. And it's usually the time that we first experienced the need not being met that we're now fighting to be met. So it's a fascinating conversation about um, just in general how we show up <laughs> to even how we travel and the expectations we have of other people versus how we handle conflict. Isn't it interesting, right? Because if you take a curious approach to life, you'll take a curious approach to conversation and a curious approach to conflict and disagreement. When we get triggered and we get curious, our life transforms. When we get triggered and we get reactive, our life stays the same and it repeats the same patterns. And so life has not stayed the same for me, thank the Lord, because I, <laughs> well, first the universe or your God or whoever you want to call it, will hit you with a nice cosmic two by four to the head to wake you up. And this week, I, man, I love this guy, Traver. Traver Bohm, you're going to meet this guy. He's a character of, of beyond characters. Just a tremendous uh, man. I met him at uh, my good friend's bachelor party. And he wasn't drinking. And I asked him about his experience of not drinking. And he said it was the best decision he ever made. And through our conversation, 
um, it inspired me to stop drinking, to explore my relationship to alcohol and the, you know, the sort of unspoken agreements that we, or at least I can speak to personally, that we make about alcohol, which is I need it to, you know, reduce my anxiety. I need it to, you know, when I was young, I needed it to reduce my anxiety to talk to girls when I was in, you know, when I was 16. Yes, I drank before it was legal. I'm sorry. And also that we need to connect over a beer or we need to connect over alcohol. And I thought, what is being taken away by this dependency on something that is seemingly I'm not dependent on? You know, I don't binge drink. I wasn't binge drinking. I didn't feel like I had a negative relationship to alcohol. But I was like, who am I without it? If I go to a large event, can I not do it? And so it's been really fun exploring it. And it was inspired by Traver, who is just a phenomenal guy. And life hit him with a giant two by four. I don't want to spoil it. So this guy went on the coolest journey where he started to explore. If he lived his life as if he knew he was going to die. Oh my God, wait till you hear his stories. And he is just a freaking amazing guy. Tons of heart, tons of passion. He works with men. Just unbelievable. I really uh, can't wait for you to hear him. And before we get right to him, I would love to ask if wherever you listen to this, you could leave it a five-star review and leave it a written review. That's super helpful to get into more people's ears so we can all partake in these conversations about showing up as a better human being for ourselves. For other people, yes, but especially for ourselves. Because when we show up well for ourselves, we don't chase other people to confirm that we're good enough. We don't chase other people to confirm that we're loved and that we are showing up to life well. So without further ado... Traver Bell. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. I got my main man here, Traver Boehm. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Mark. So happy to have you here. And for the people that don't know you, but are about Mm. to know you, about Mm -hmm. to get some knowledge dropped on them. and some excitement and some uh-huh. trepidation and who knows mm-hmm. what emotions will go mm-hmm. through our souls mm-hmm. as we listen to your sweet melodies. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. Hi. So, you know, you are the originator, the founder, the leader, the kingpin, the John Gotti <laughs> <laughs> of the uncivilized yes. movement for men. Mm-hmm. Although mm-hmm. I would argue, uh, knowing you, that there's some, there's some female work in there too. Mm-hmm, for uh, sure obviously yeah. right because if you're working with men you're yeah you're, you're helping everybody yep 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 so, so tell us what is that uncivilized thing you're doing you know it's funny you say uh are there women involved of course because i run a men's movement 70 percent of my following is female and yeah. the people i communicate every day who are like hey i have a guy that needs some help but he won't listen are female and oh i'm reading this to pass on to someone who won't come and listen uh, they're female. So basically, Mark, I wanted to take the, <laughs> this idea of like, I, I thought we needed and I know we needed a new paradigm of masculinity. And I believed it was we had two options kind of in society that were being presented. We had the 1950s Marlboro man, who we all grew up probably being raised by or a lot of us did. Mm-hmm. It was the stoic, unemotional, 
like your classic, the Marlboro man, right? Like in rugged individual needed nobody. Very, very sexy. Perhaps very like strong jawed hat cowboy. Uh, that was paradigm one. And then paradigm two seemed to be this overswing of the pendulum, which was your sensitive new age guy or the nice guy mm-hmm. who is codependent as, am I allowed to swear? Oh yes. Every okay. single episode I believe has an explicit sign up. Oh, excellent. So I'm not going for a record, but I hope I- <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get into it. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're codependent, needy, uh, a man who's just afraid of his own masculinity. So on the other side, we have someone who's, who hates his own femininity or his own feminine side. And on the pendulum swing, we have a guy who's just, he's been beaten to death and is terrified about being a man, but yet is needy, codependent and insidious and equally as dangerous. Mm, So I looked at these two paradigms and I couldn't figure out where I wanted to fit in. Mm -hmm. And so I thought the way it worked in my mind was we have this primal nature as men. We have this, idea of protection provision of getting out there and fucking shit up in the world and we need a massive dose of consciousness so we have the primal but we were missing a lot of the divine or the overswing of the pendulum was we had so much divine and we had guys that were beautiful they're poets they're yogis they're your spiritual seekers but they were lost in the world as far as getting shit done or as far as building something, or as far as relating to their bodies or relating to other men. This is the one guy with 15 female friends, but he, he can't hang out with the dudes. And yet he's not really comfortable in his own skin either way. He's very, very needy. So my thought was, let's take both of the, the best of both and put them together. Let's take the primal and the divine and combine it and give guys the, let's celebrate the way we are in our nature. And yet let's definitely like, let's not, you, you, you get this. We need consciousness. We need communication. We need to understand our fucking emotions. Like, come on now, let's, let's get over this idea. <laughs> right. We don't have them. Or like, I don't do emotions. Yeah. And a client tell me that she talked to her. Uh, she was dating. I was like, just so you know, I don't do emotions. I was like, Oh, that's what she said. No, that's what he said. Oh, that's what he went out on a date with this guy. I was like, I don't do emotions. I was like, Oh, that's not even a red flag. That's a base. No, 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 no. It's like, (laughs) let's get the fuck out of there. It's so interesting because of of course someone might want to change that guy and stick it out for another 20 years and have kids Mm -hmm. and then wonder why they're an emotional robot 20 years Mm -hmm. later, even though they knew on the first date on date one. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's the, I hear a lot like, well, you know, like all these women are doing all this work. Where Mm -hmm. are all the good men? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, shit, I know a ton of good men. And the irony is is that a lot of the men that I know who have done a lot of emotional work Mm -hmm. have a hard time finding women they believe. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, both of these people don't seem to be finding each other. Apparently Mm -hmm. we need to create a dating site. Uh, I have been told, please create an uncivilized dating site. (laughs) No, thank you. Yeah. 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 Like that's what I want to do. That's my, my life mission. No, I think we, you said it, right. We have both sides looking for something or even worse. We have people that when they find it and get what they want, it's so actually confronting. Yes. They've been in love with the fantasy Especially I hear this from women who I want a conscious man. I want him strong. I want him this. And then they meet him and go, Oh shit. Dude. Uh, I am so with you on that. Like mm-hmm. I wrote it. The first article I ever wrote that really sort of went viral. Um, 
was called why you're not met ready for the man you say you want. And the yeah. idea was I kept hearing people say like, well, I want this guy who's like this. I'm like, when you get him, you won't know what the fuck to do. Because mm-hmm. all of a sudden he'll be steering the emotional car with you. Mm-hmm. And no one wants, it's like we want the, you know, in research, there's a study where they had, uh, you and I, I think talked about this just recently. Yeah. A study about where women say what they want and they write it down and then there's right. a date and they don't pick exactly what they want. They pick mm-hmm. what they feel they connect with. <laughs> Yeah. Right, so the whole list just went out the goddamn window. Right, right. And I'm not right. saying that's only women because men do that too. Um, yeah. And I, when you bring in a man who's done the work and is conscious and also has the physicality of a man mm-hmm. who has the body, has the presence, has the the uh, the musculature, it adds a whole different dynamic as well. Because I think a lot of times women in the consciousness space or spirituality space run into conscious men who have dissociated so far from their bodies that they're not in shape. They're not strong. They're not identifying as the athlete, man, a fighter, a protector, a, a warrior, etc. So that combination, it just, it kind of blows their central nervous system wide open. And then go back to like, where are all the conscious men? Where are all the conscious men? Well, and I think it's fascinating too that the, and it's, I, I want to acknowledge that we don't have a woman in this conversation. So mm-hmm. We're going to speak about it in the context of what we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and from, at least from my experience, because w- women have, have really stepped into their masculine, their purpose, mm-hmm. their drive, their, mm-hmm. which is really beautiful. Amazing. You know? Yeah. And, but what that does is when they go home and they're still in their masculine, mm-hmm. they attract feminine partners, pushover, mm-hmm. needy doormats which i can say i I could have ran that club at school if i wanted to i could have been the president of the needy doormat oh i would have been your vp (laughs) like super codependently like i would have been relying on all complaints about partners that they don't (laughs) know how to talk like i had female partners who couldn't communicate i was dating men i was a woman dating that was like i mean in that feminine essence you know i was too far on the other side but i think what's fascinating is when you actually learn how to integrate like that masculine side that you need, the anger, not in aggression, but right. anger that creates boundaries, boundaries mm-hmm. that, that communicate self-worth. Mm-hmm. Then you are standing in an integrated masculine feminine balance where you mm-hmm. are in a presence that puts a very masculine feminine partner will either run for the hills or right. actually surrender and go back safely into their feminine where mm-hmm. they're not guarding anymore and not protecting Right. Independent Beyonce, you know, I'm sure Beyonce is like everybody's favorite mascot. So maybe that's yeah. a bad example, but you yeah. Know. And they have to go through the journey of actually, it's not a light switch to go, Oh, I'm with a conscious man. Now switch the light. I can now surrender and be okay with all yeah, of this. Totally. It's learning over the increments that I can trust this guy. I can trust this guy. I can trust this guy. And for that man to take the realm or the, to, to lead in saying, Yes, you can continually trust me. You can continually trust me and not just say it, but have the integrity. So his actions, everything I tell guys, like, you know why she doesn't want to fuck you? Because you keep saying you're going to, you're going to go to the gym and you don't. She can't and so you. she can't fucking trust you in the bedroom where it's the most sacred, open, vulnerable space on earth because you're kind of lying about going to the gym. Mm. So start there. Like, it's not like, oh man, I don't get why she doesn't trust me in the bedroom. I'm, I'm super, no, no, no. Start going to the gym. Make sure every part of your life is in, in, in integrity. Whenever I told you the story, I was, with, uh, I was in a, a workshop with Michaela Bohm, same last name, but not related. 
And it was two days of, it was all dudes, Mark. And it was like day one was like masculine movement, like understanding the masculine. Day two was how do you put that in the bedroom? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Like halfway through, she suddenly, she's teaching all of us. She's a room full of dudes. She stops and goes, do you guys want to know the secret? Like enough fucking around. Uh-huh. Do you want to know the number one, the, here is the key to getting your woman to open fully to give you everything you want, just full sexual expression. You guys want to know what that is? And like, there are beads of sweat, like pouring down my face. Like, yes, yes, yes I love that ass. Yeah, like pen is shaking. And she holds those, like one pregnant pause. He says, go home and get your shit together. Go to therapy, remove, figure out your mommy issues and figure out every single place in your life outside of the bedroom that you're out of integrity mm. because the feminine can smell it on you. She can sense it and feel, okay, you lied at work today. I'm not fully opening. So yeah. get your shit together. And at the time I was like, that's the fuck. I can't believe you just said that's the most terrible answer on earth. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, uh, sure, It's not like rub the nipple, rub the nipple. Uh, and like, yeah, what's the deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> work. Uh, but now a couple of years later, yeah, I get it. I heard it was playing, yeah, some Luther Vandross and lighting a candle. Mm-hmm. It, it's telling the truth and being honest with yourself yeah. and calling your ass out on your own shit. Brutal, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's so beautiful, though, because if a man isn't in integrity, that's such a that's such a key. He might feel anxious. He might. Feel, I mean, I think for any human, if you're not living in integrity with your word to yourself, but yeah. you know, especially calling a masculine person or male out mm-hmm. on that, like are you actually your word? You know, I remember working with this coach and she said, do you press snooze in the morning? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I love the snooze button. Yeah. And she goes, well, I, I guess you love starting your day lying to yourself. And uh-huh. I was like, I'm sorry, what? She <laughs> was like, well, it was Aaron Sky Kelly. She's amazing. And she said to me, when you go to bed and you set 7.30 or whatever as your time that you're waking mm-hmm. up, if you hit snooze, you broke a contract already. Wow. And Beautiful. she's like, right. if you want to get up at eight, get up at eight, mm-hmm. but stop snoozing because you start your day lying to yourself. Wow. And I was like, well, okay. And goodbye. Yeah. I bought the domain name. Stop hitting snooze after that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Ooh, that's good shit. Yeah, I'll just yeah, put yeah. that quote on it. It'll get tons of traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you also wrote something that I really loved. I mean, you always write stuff I love, but you had one thing that I was like, oh, that's fucking good. And it was when you said, um, your woman can't feel you. Mm-hmm. Like she can't feel yeah. you. And that's why she doesn't feel connected to you because you're not connected to yourself. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that more, that, that quote in the context of it? Yeah. It, the way I view a lack of integrity, Mark, is a leak. And so it's as if like I'm 188 pounds, but every time I lie, I leak like a pound of energy out mm-hmm. because that's just how I view it. It's like part of my attention knows that I'm not really there. Like, ah, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. Like if there was a brutal accounting in my body at all times of anywhere that I'm out of integrity, I view that as literally energy leaking out of my body. I don't want to get too fluffy on it, but that's just how I felt. And I feel like when we push, like we, we dam up those little leaks, like one of the ways I, I demonstrate this is holding up a bag of water 
and then I'll pop it with attack. Like, oh, I said I was going to go to the gym this morning and I didn't. Boop. And I pop and like a little stream of water starts coming out. Mm-hmm. And then again, like, hey, I said I'd pay the bills or I take the trash out. Boop. And I'm just using like shitty examples, but you get it. Those are real examples. Though. Real examples. Or, yeah. you know, I said I would meet you at this time and I didn't. I said I'd call I, you. I said I'd call you. I said I'd. All the things, right? That eventually I'm holding up a pretty deflated bag. And that's, yes, it's energy, but that's what's flowing back and forth between myself and my partner. And so if I've leaked it all out, she can't feel me because I'm literally not there. Or if my attention is in seven different places when I'm sitting in front of her, like we've all sat across from someone and been like, where are you? Where did you just go? But even if they're looking at us, if their emotions are elsewhere, if their, their, their deepest thoughts are elsewhere, if they don't want to be there, if they've done something they're ashamed of and they're trying not to think about it, I view it as like a true energetic leak. And the feminine is just sensing that. So she literally doesn't feel like you're there. And so when we go back to masculine feminine dynamics of the feminine surrendering into the masculine, and we are holding the space of the relationship or holding the space of the room, if that is not solidity, that's holding it. If that's like a piece of bamboo that flows back and forth, it's like, Oh, I think this thing's going to snap. Yeah. Then she can't feel you. And therefore how can she trust what she doesn't feel? Like women are so sensory. Again, I'm projecting, but I believe so sensory, sensorily acute that they feel more than we do because we're just not as practiced or also because we don't actually create life inside of us. We have to feel a bunch of shit that like they have to feel a bunch of shit. We don't. So when they can't feel our solidness or that they, they do feel that we are elsewhere, that's why they don't want to be there anymore. Mm. And I see that, you know, in the, what you were saying about the sensitivity makes a lot of sense because, you know, women tend to be, and we're speaking heteronormatively here, so Mm -hmm. I want to be uh, sensitive to that. Um, But you could generalize this in same-sex relationships or everything Mm -hmm. in between with masculine or feminine. The more masculine partner, the more feminine partner. Mm -hmm. Women tend to, because as you said, you know, they tend to be more anxiously attached and men tend to be more avoidant. There can be many reasons for both of those things, um, you know, including socialization and the way testosterone interacts with the brain. There's lots of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of them being that women really needed relationship, need relationship still in some sense, um, had an evolutionary need for marriage. Mm. And so that's why they're more likely to forget their deal breakers. Like, oh, I don't want to date a guy who smokes. Oh, I have this guy who smokes. Well, I guess I'll let that. But men are much more solid in their deal breakers. They tend Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when a man says he doesn't want that thing or he doesn't, he's telling the truth. Right. I I don't do emotions. Yeah, right. And I think, and he's telling the truth. And, you know, I think that's what's fascinating is, and this is said to me by a woman that women don't say what they mean. And so they don't think men say what they mean. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very fascinating. And I'm glad she said it and the guy didn't, because then I could mm-hmm. be like, oh, okay, well, that was a great observation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we struggle to take, <clears throat> we always want to like figure out what a man really means behind the truth he actually just told us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's fascinating is from an evolutionary perspective, they would be way more attuned to behaviors because they needed to check the safety of their relationship and the security of their relationship in order to make sure that they have the protection and the things that they need for evolution. Yeah, because you and I are never going to land on our backs 
for the last trimester of a pregnancy and not be able to possibly procure food or protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like under no circumstances, is that going to happen to you or I period fucking period. So we don't have the biological need to check and make sure that that person's going to be around for that. When I, and I think one of the things that, well, one thing that you started uh, at the beginning saying that I think is very fascinating, you know, women tend to initiate divorce mm-hmm. more than men. Mm-hmm. Um, statistically speaking, statistically correct. Statistically speaking. Yes. And by the time they initiate <clears throat> divorce, they've already, it's been about two years. Mm-hmm. That's what the research shows. And I really think that's fascinating that by the time that happens and a woman steps out the door, speaking heteronormatively, but this would be true of a same-sex relationship too, I would imagine, is all of a sudden the man is willing to do the work or Mm -hmm. the person's willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. But we didn't hear the fucking 47 other calls. The times we say, hey, I'd really love to go to therapy. I'd really... Mm -hmm. Like for me, that is... (laughs) You know, I, being the more feminine partner in my, in my relationships previously, was the one who wanted to talk, was mm. the one who wanted them to grow and learn about communication, which mm. often made them feel like, well, I don't want to say it made them feel, their response to that mm-hmm. desire was the defensiveness that they weren't good enough. Okay. Which I think is often what the man experiences if we're generalizing, right? Right. right. But... You, you get messy. I mean, 70% of your followers are female. Yeah. And you speak about men, right? In general. For the most part. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting that they both want to learn about men and they want to learn about women and they want to learn about both. And mm-hmm. I think that's really beautiful. And I don't get me wrong. Shout out to all the men who are doing that work too. Amen. They, God bless you guys. Definitely. Yeah. They're out there. And mm-hmm. I wonder like, of course there's socialization, <laughs> but what do you think is the thing that keeps, you know, when a woman, or a man says to their male partner, mm-hmm. hey, I really want to go to therapy. And he's like, I don't do therapy. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Is there a way to get them to? Because <laughs> that's, of course, what you get asked, I'm sure, a lot. Yeah. A lot. My change? Mm-hmm. And the other part is, um, what do you do after? God, it's, I've, I've tried to answer this question so many times. The, the why don't they? Uh, I don't know. I'm curious if it's just, it's such a different realm for most men. Like it's a, it's like a different planet for a lot of guys. And one of the things I've asked women back is how would you feel if your guy came to you and said, I really want you to come to jujitsu class with me. You're going <laughs> right. to get choked. You're going to get arm barred. It's going to be sweaty dudes crushing your face. Like there's ringworm on the mat, but don't worry. We'll wash it off. Like you're going to be fine. Look, I've been doing this for years and you're going to be fine. And they're like, oh, that sounds absolutely horrendous. And I go like, yeah, but to most guys, most, or a lot of guys, let's just generalize, therapy is the exact same thing. Yeah, agreed. It is such a scary realm. We have no, there's no lead up. It's like we didn't spend 10 years tussling. For for women, I say like, you didn't tussle with your brothers. You probably didn't, or you're not used to getting punched in the arm for 10 years in your teens. You're not used to the rough housing. Like being choked is going to be confronting. Like for me, it's second nature. Just like for a lot of women, having emotional conversations is second nature. So diving deep into the emotional nature world isn't as scary and confronting to them, but it is to guys. 
because it's like, hey, let's go to this jujitsu planet. Like, fuck that shit. I don't want to go there. <laughs> and that's also not taking into account any conditioning or any times they've been shamed for expressing emotion or being in the emotional realm or had, you know, 30, 40 years of conditioning of like, don't fucking cry. Don't show me your emotions. Shut that shit off and get to work. So I think there's that. There's like a fear of this otherworldliness and it's absolute terror. And guys won't admit that like, this is so out of my control. This is so out of my comfort zone that I don't even know what it's going to be. It's like, it's so big and so scary and so foreign that they have no, they can't conceptualize it. Mm. Like, wait, we're just going to talk. And then at the end of this, everything's going to be okay. Which the automatic feeling is I think the therapist is going to tell me how fucked up I am and that I can't communicate and it's my fault. That I'm going to get blamed. Yeah. That it's really going to be an, and I've, I've, I've been in therapy sessions where I was like, Oh, wow. You guys just listed all the shit that I was doing wrong. This doesn't seem that healthy. And I'm only 22 and I can figure out that this doesn't seem that healthy. And so I, I agree with you that I think it's, hmm, let's take Johnny to the room where a couple other people are going to beat up on him. Yeah. And a lot of men are obstinate, period. Like, fuck that shit. Why should I have to do that? Yeah. You know, I think that's an interesting side of it too, is that why should I have to go to therapy? Why should we have to go to therapy? I remember uh, one person making a request of another saying like, let's go to therapy before they were getting married. Mm -hmm. They were like, well, if we're going to therapy before we're getting married, then should we even get married? And I'm like, right. right." And I'm like, well, yes. Like you, it's not about that. Going to therapy doesn't mean you're broken. Right. But there may be the stigma of that for that man too. Totally. What if my friends find out? Yeah, like, well, you only go to therapy. It's not like, you know, in New York, everybody has a therapist. Right. You know, but in the West Coast, at least, you know, you go to therapy when, like, if a couple says, you know, formally, if a couple mm-hmm. said to me, hey, we're going to therapy, I'd be like, oh, shit, mm-hmm. on the rocks. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has a great, has a coach. You know, LeBron James has a coach. Mm-hmm. He doesn't stop. I, I called my therapist best. coach. Like for, for a year, he was like, you're the only one who calls me coach. I was like, well, you're helping. I don't know how to get divorced without shooting myself in the head. And you're giving me the skills to do that. So I kind of look at you like a coach. So when you were going through your divorce prior to that, did you have the language skills and the communication skills that you've now developed? Not at all. No. I went so- to therapy with her. And I remember, you know, my therapeutic, I remember the first time my ex-wife and I went to therapy. And the therapist looked at me and says, you have PTSD from professional fighting. So what I want you to do is every morning, I want you to look in the mirror and hug yourself and tell yourself that you love yourself. And I walked outside and I was like, if we go back to this fucking fruitcake again, (laughs) this is done. Like, this is complete nonsense. This guy, like, fuck him. I don't have PTSD from fighting. It was voluntary. And I I had no framework, Mark. Like, this is you're in my world now. We know what frame means. We know what holding space means. We know what consciousness means. We know what give it. We know all the language around it, but I didn't know what any of that stuff was. And it wasn't even in in therapy. wasn't even helping me understand that it was more of making me see things from 50 different angles and, and just opening my eyes to the possibilities of why this could be happening, what I could do with it. And what the, a new way to frame it as opposed to just saying, this is all lost and it will be lost forever. And I mean, before you went through all of that, mm-hmm. you were, would you have been like the men we're talking about, you know, sort of emotionally disconnected and definitely. 
Yeah. I had the emotion. I was a very, you know, I went through acupuncture school. I had a, four years of Chinese medicine school. I, I worked with people who had crystals, like could speak female, but I didn't have the ability to tap into it. Mm. And you say like, I, I knew anger. Cause that was all the, that was all I grew up with in my house. We had one emotion, anger. So like, yeah, sure. I get mad. I punch walls. I punch holes in walls Wow. Just to do that and be like, that's how I show emotion. I could not say I'm scared. I'm hurt. That really hurt my feelings. Those words never came out of my mouth ever. Whole wall. That means just like whole wall. Yeah. 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 Or I'm leaving. I'm out. I'm fuck. Shut the fuck up. I'm leaving. And I'm uh-huh. going outside for 10 minutes and not even 10 minutes. I'll go outside for a day. Actually, you know what? You to uh, that? How long did it take me to change it? Yeah. It took my divorce. It took a you year of therapy. And then walk us through what happened. What happened that day or what happened? Yeah, like from the initiation of her leaving. Because I know you then did the, I want to get into your Sure, year. sure, sure. Year. So yeah, walk us through how we get to the, to the year. So it happened very quickly. And you, this is something I didn't know at the time. But uh, my ex and I, unfortunately, or fortunately, however we want to look at it, but at the time, unfortunately, had gotten pregnant on purpose and then a couple months later lost the pregnancy. And that moment I shut down completely and I started drinking a ton. I started smoking a ton of dope. Like I was looking at a ton of porn. Like I didn't have the ability to say that really fucked me up. Mm-hmm. I remember having the conversation with my ex-wife where she's like, are you okay over this? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. You? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine too. You want to go get sushi? I was like, okay. And that was the entire miscarriage conversation. Wow. A couple months later, I go to bed with her. We laugh. We go through the holidays, wake up and play with the dog. Like we're joking in bed. She falls asleep on my chest. I go make breakfast. I'm like, what are you going to do today? She goes, oh, I'm leaving you. I'm moving to Los Angeles. I was like, no, no, no. Come on. What are you going to do today? She's like, no, I'll, I'll be gone in an hour. And she packed a bag and drove away. And boom. I went, this adventure of my life began. That's how she left? That's how she left. Wow. That's Spiritually, a- we've come as far as we can go. The universe thinks I need to leave. I was like, oh. I mean, I really like that. that, and I'm sure she's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really taking responsibility. For, that's bypassing the yeah, actual was- conversation of saying, I am leaving. Yeah. The, my entire divorce was a lesson with, uh, in bypass. Yeah. It was all the universe. Um, so what did I do? I actually called a therapist before she even left the house. And I was like, hey, I'm about to go through some fucking hell. And I don't know how to handle it. I need some help. Boom. She leaves. Within about 24 hours, my business partnership has also now, I'm getting divorced from, from that man as well. And sorry, the other person was, was my wife, but from uh, my business partnership, just eroded too. Wow. He was like, you know what? Like, while this is all like your life's kind of falling apart, I should probably be honest. I think it's better if we go our separate ways too. Wow. It was like a great weekend in my life, Mark. So a lot of transition very quickly. So you're, which, you're divorced and then your business partner divorces you. Yeah. And if you want to know something really freaky, both of them were kind of on the fence for about six months. My ex was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm waiting for a sign. And then my business partner was like, oh, you like, let's, maybe we can work it out. Maybe you should just like stay as a silent partner or something. Mm-hmm. And then within 45 minutes of each other, 
about eight months later, they were both, I had a uh, email from my ex-wife saying, Hey, I'm not working this out. We're getting divorced. And 45 minutes later, my business partner came to my house was like, just got to tell you, like, I don't want to work this out either. Like, it's done. Let's just sign some paperwork. That's crazy. Like, Isn't that crazy? I mean, if we're going to bring the universe back into it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like. Fucking wild. Wow. Uh, you know, I would be fascinated to know uh, if you were tuned into the shifts prior to those choices by them. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a moment where you didn't want to be in business or in relationship with either of them, but you didn't honor it? Or you had a kick from, or like a little, you know, a little intuitive, like, Ooh, maybe I shouldn't be in this or something's off. I had a kick about eight months before that my wife would leave. My ex-wife would leave. Cause she had, she kept trying to start a business and kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. And then I was like lying in bed one night and went, Oh, she needs to leave me from, to start this business. She can't do it. Cause under not the shadow of my life, but with an identity of I am his wife. So in the town that we lived, I owned a big gym. I was building my reputation as a coach, was writing for magazines, had some press around me. And I think living under that shadow, she wanted to launch her own thing. And I just remember lying there and being like, fuck. Yeah, she needs to do that. Hmm. Um, And him or the, the business, I didn't, I was so shut down at that point. I just knew I, I kept wanting to do all this. I kept wanting to write. I want to do workshops. I wanted to do all this stuff. And every time I brought up an idea, it was like, nah, we run a gym. Remember that. We just run a gym. So just do that. And I didn't have the wherewithal to say, like, yeah, but I want to do all this other stuff. And maybe there's a different way to construct this or configure it. I even had a, a therapist or a coach actually about eight months before say, because uh, I told, I called him like, yeah, I'm smoking pot every day. And this is really weird for me. I don't, and it's not what I'm about. And he goes, well, you're a writer and you need to be writing. And I was like, well, I'm not writing because of the gym. He's like, well, you need to reconfigure that relationship with your partner. Like, this is a no brainer to me. And I went, uh, I'm not really comfortable bringing that up. I don't want to create any discord. I'll just keep getting really high. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll just numb it. I'll just, I'll just push, like, continue to push it down. Cause what yeah. could go wrong then? Yeah. Yeah. That's wonder where the word depress comes mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. all right so you your wife leaves your business partner they both say they don't want to work it out and then mm-hmm. what happens i make the decision uh i can go into the full story yeah. of it but yeah. um so i do a, a talk on pain at my gym I'm like how do you use pain how can you use it to thrive because in the midst of all of that i've gotten i've stopped drinking stopped smoking pot Stop looking at porn, go into therapy. I'm in a men's group. I'm taking workshops like, oh my God, my life's actually like I'm growing in all these ways despite being in so much pain. So I do a talk at the gym for just the gym community. And a woman comes up to me afterwards who's a member, a gym member who I don't know that well. She goes, I run TEDx Santa Barbara. I think you need to do that talk here at TED. And I was like, hey, great, awesome. Like, I'm still throwing up in the mornings and like a complete mess. I'm living on my couch uh, in a new new house. Like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Fast forward a couple months and she reaches out and says, hey, I have TEDxLA on the phone. They want you to come down and do a talk, but here's what they want. They want a six-week social experiment. So you have to take people, 16 people, run them through this idea you have about pain. And at the end of it, 
present your empirical data on what, how they changed with pain. Like one girl who was already on was going to like keep all her trash for six weeks and present that. And I was like, um, nope, I can't be responsible for 16 people. I'm barely responsible for myself self still at this point. Like I'm going up and down Mark at this point. <laughs> yeah. And I'm dealing with two sets of attorneys. I'm either manic or like, maybe I should just kill myself. It was like, wow. don't get off the couch or go run a half marathon every day. Yeah. And I hung up the phone and then I thought back to about a week before where I had been at the Against the Stream Meditation Center in uh, Los Angeles. And I'd come out of the bathroom and on the wall, they had this paper and it said the Year to Live program. And I went, wow, that's really fascinating. And I looked it up and it was based off this book from uh, Stefan Levine and it was the Year to Live. And it was this 12-month program for people who had a terminal illness or were preparing to leave their bodies so it's a meditative process of how do you prepare yourself the year before that? Uh-huh. And then it kind of like grinded in my head. I was like, wow. I called them. I was like, hey, I'd love to do your program. I'm like, well, you have to stay in LA for a year. And I was like, eh, I don't know which way my life's going. I'm not committing to any geography. Yeah. So like in that moment, I hung up the phone and I went, oh, fuck. I know what I'm going to do next year. Because I, I have nothing to do now, right? Like I'm, about to, I'm not married. I'm not raising a kid and I don't have a business. Yeah. Call her back. And say, here's what I'm going to do. Tell them I'll be back in 12 months. I'm going to do a 12-month social experiment on myself. And I'm going to live the entire year as if it were my last year on earth. And I'm not just going to do it meditatively. I'm going to do it outwardly. I'm going to make it public. And I'm just going to go all fucking in for 12 months. And that's my plan. So what happened? So I, so I sat down in front of a whiteboard and I meditated for about two and a half hours the next day. I was like, God, what would I do? What do I want to do? And I didn't want this to just be like a bucket list. Like, I want to see the Eiffel Tower. I want to have a threesome. It was like, <laughs> what do I want to do to get to that? Like, if, if I was going to take that last breath, my last breath on that last day, what would I have to do to take it full? To be like, oh, I lived. Fuck yeah, I lived. I can go. Yeah. I can go. And because I was hoping and pontificating, like I'm going to live afterwards, why don't I set the year up two ways? What do I need to do to heal my entire life? Because I've done no work. And what do I need to do so that the next 40 years, this was right before my 40th birthday, are completely different than the first 40, which were shut uh-huh. down, which were numb, which were emotionally dead which were incongruent, which were out of integrity. So what do I need to do? And so I sat there and the very first thing, boom, it was like, you're going to volunteer in hospice. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm a CrossFit coach and an acupuncturist. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, what am I going to do in hospice? Like, I wrote it down. I was like, where am I going to do it? I was like, boom, New Mexico. Like, I've never been to New Mexico. Like, what the hell is going on here? Uh, This is amazing. Wrote it down men's workshops. I'm going to apologize to my ex-girlfriend who I had five years before been like, we're never going to speak again. And it's your fault. Even though I had been a raging asshole for a number of years, I was going to ask another girlfriend that I lived with. What was the hardest part about dating me? Like, let's sit down and have a heart to heart. Uh, I was going to, I ran into someone who suggested the dark retreat, which we can talk about at any point. I'm in the dark retreat. Yeah. I'm going to spend a month in complete darkness by myself 
as a meditative exercise. <laughs> Shit is straight insanity. So yeah. tell us about that. Sure. So I found this place in Guatemala called Mahadevi Ashram, which is on Lake Atitlan. And they have a small structure that's completely concrete. It's like a dome. It looks like, you know, when you drip sand as a kid on, in the beach. And it is uh, probably the double width of my arms. And you go in, there's a toilet. There's a very uncomfortable sleeping loft up ahead. Uh, there's a huge jug of water. There's a sink, a shower, and the walls are about a foot thick. And other than that, there's nothing else in the room. I had a yoga mat and then like a little meditation cushion for furniture. And the room is literally pitch black, dark the entire time. And no, your eyes don't ever adjust. For 30 days. For 28 days. That's straight crazy. I lost my fucking mind so many times, Mark. Like full on crazy, crazy. Like what I thought happened? I was dead for a couple of days. Really? Yeah. I like, couldn't tell. I'd like touch my face and be like, well, maybe I'm just dead. And do you have any idea of time? Like I had an idea of time from the meal schedule. So there was, this is important. There's like a, a, a double mailbox, like one side could open and then a little Tupperware of food, which was vegan. So that was another form of hell would be slid in and then closed and then they'd ring a bell and then I'd open my side to keep the integrity of the light out and then like try to shovel in whatever soup and vegetables they had for me for uh so i knew the food was at like uh nine one and five so you knew that could you keep track of three a day at that point or were you starting to like lose your cognitive ability or for most of it i could keep track because uh this may sound odd but if you've done a lot of working out it makes sense the numbers were really important because i was doing a lot of math to try to calm my own anxiety mm. So I'd be like, oh, okay, it's, um, it's 84 meals. So when I, get to, when I get to 20 or when I get to 42, I've gone halfway, which means when I get to 21, I'm a quarter of the way, which means when I get to seven, I only have to do that two more times and then three more times. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in a hard workout, it's like I'm two laps in and I only have to do that five more times. Yeah. So I kept track of numbers a ton and would tell them to myself like, okay, 17 meals down, 17 meals down. That means we only have 67 to go. 67 is nine divided by, by six. Okay. So you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like this constant stream of trying to keep, and then at some point I lost track, um, which was disconcerting. If you want a fun story, the woman who was guiding me before I went in said, just so you know, time will play tricks on you. Then sometimes an hour will feel like a full day and sometimes a full day will go in an hour. And so lunch comes and I eat it and I do my routine. This is maybe like, uh, it's before the halfway mark, I think. Um, so I'm still kind of relatively cognitively there and I eat lunch and then I go through, I do some push-ups, I do some squats, I meditate for a bit and then go into a meditative process or I think I'm meditating for two or three hours and then come out of it and kind of come back into my body. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like dinner should be here at any point. And then dinner doesn't come and it doesn't come and it doesn't come. And I'm like, oh fuck, did what's going on? What, what's, what? I, I have no idea. To, like, I can't turn a light on. So I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe time's going really weird right now. And I just don't know it. Maybe dinner's still going to come in a little while. And I'd like meditate some more, do some more push-ups, like kind of occupy my time. I'm like, man, it's been a long time. I must truly be tripping out. 
and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just try to go to bed. And I go up to bed and I'm like the whole time, like grinding on this mark, like what happened? Am I in this time vortex, like asking all these philosophical questions? And then I pass out and I think I sleep for a little bit. It's hard to tell. And then the bell rings and I'm like, oh, dinner. I'm like what's, wait a minute, what's going on? And so I run, I climb down the little ladder to the loft, go get the food and it's dinner. I was like, oh man, I just must've been in a huge time vortex. And so I eat dinner and I'm like, but I'm really tired. And I go back up to bed and I just lay there with my eyes open. And maybe an hour later, the bell rings again. And I'm like, wait a minute, dinner to breakfast is like 16, 17 hours. You know, it's, it's, a, it's from 5 p.m. until 9 a.m. That just, what just happened? And I go downstairs again, I look at, or I not look, but I'm like, oh, it's breakfast. Man, like I'm so jacked up with time. And so after the whole process, I get out and I talk to the, the people who are bringing food. And I was like, did you guys fucking forget to feed me one night? <laughs> the girl's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. They so had she, forgotten. They forgot. So what she said is she woke up at five o'clock in the morning, which is the time to start preparing the meals for the day and sees my dinner sitting on the counter still. And she goes and wakes up one of the other girls and, and was like, what do we do? What do we do? And the other girl's like, fuck him. He has no idea what time is. Just like put one in and then an hour later, put the other one in and he'll never know the difference. <laughs> so I was like, you guys fucked with my head. Meanwhile, so on the other bad. side, you're like, what the hell's happening here? Am I, is time a thing? Is it a concept? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm asking Connor Beaton questions. Like, am yeah. I time? Am I, am I time? <laughs> this huge, mm. I just experienced a vortex. No, people fucking forgot to feed me. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't imagine a month in complete darkness. It's a long time, Mark. Coming out of your divorce. Yeah. You know, like you have this whole year of, which I love that you committed it to healing, you know, and both like expansion, challenging yourself, bucket list kind of things. Yeah. Um, But like not normal bucket list shit, let's be honest. Um, but what was the greatest impact that that 28 days had on you? Like, what was the thing that you got from that? That was like the most, or maybe two or three things. That's a great question. The, the, the big things that stood out were I was bored out of my mind for the first eight days. And I was like, this is a waste of fucking time. What am I doing here? And then on the the night before the eighth day, I dreamt that I was walking down a beach holding hands with my ex-wife and the child that we lost. Mm. And I woke up from that a mess, just a mess. And at the same time, I had been told that it'd be super quiet, that my little hut was far away. On the eighth day, so I wake up from that and I'm like, oh boy, okay, so there's some emotional stuff about to rip me open. There's, there's a construction crew building a hut like 20 feet from where I am and they're grinding bamboo, which is like this, you know, the Jim Carrey, like you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? And like that. And it's for about six hours and I can't stop it. 
and I'm getting so fucking angry. This is like chalkboard. It's, it's hell. Yeah. It's chalkboard that I actually start screaming and trying to punch out of the wall and just freak out and then burst into tears and spend probably the next six or seven days literally convulsing on the floor, just sobbing, just getting all the pain of the all divorce, the, the miscarriage. I had an abusive upbringing. I had an abusive first girlfriend. I had just everything that I carried for those 39 years that I had never processed one piece of. And it, it was utter hell. Wow. Like imagine all of your unprocessed grief coming out in a week in no light, no comfort, no, no way to stop it. No one to talk to action, right? No soothing. Like I couldn't pop up Facebook. I couldn't be like, okay, I'll just watch TV for a little while. Yeah. I'll read a magazine. So th- I think that clearing was one of the bigger pieces. The second piece, when I said I couldn't figure out if I was alive or dead for a couple days before the end, and I stopped sleeping on that eighth night. So throw that in there. So you think it's boring to stay up all day with no light. Imagine doing it also all night. So literally super sleep deprived. The thing with thinking I had died was I realized, and this is how this was, this whole situation was proposed to me is you will experience death. Mm -hmm. I went, Oh wow. I'm in a hole in the ground. It's pitch black. The whole world is going on around me. This actually is what death is. Someday this is actually going to happen to me. So one, I realized my insignificance in the world because no one stopped doing what they were doing. Right. I was, I was removed from society and society went on. That was beautiful to realize how small I was. Yeah. And then also to also the the flip side of that was at some point, my slate's going to get wiped completely clean. So I can fuck up all over the place. When I get out of here, if I write an article and people hate it, still going to be dead in 40 years. If I try to start a men's movement that pisses people off, still going to be dead in 40 years. So why not swing for the fences? Right? It kind of liberated me to be like, fuck it. We're all going to die. So why not get after it? Why not try to really, really go for something? I and love that. The last piece was imagine your life. And for the, you know, it's funny, Mark, I came out and I called a couple people and I, I, I said this to them, imagine an entire month of your life with no judgment where no one was in there to judge me. I didn't judge my own thoughts. I let them go as crazy as they wanted to go. I let my fantasies go as dark as they wanted to go. I let everything that was running through my head, just go, go for it. I don't care. Oh, you just fantasize about burning down a whole city. That's okay. No worries. No judgment whatsoever. And so I made the decision when I got out to live as close to that paradigm as possible of mm-hmm. I'm not going to judge myself. I don't give a fuck. I do weird shit. Like I live a really, really weird life. And I asked people, can you imagine going an hour dressing the way you want, writing the way you want, speaking the way you want, fucking the way you want, talking the way you want publicly. And I said this to five people and all five of them cried. And they're like, I am so far from that. My whole life is so far from actually being authentic. And it's, it's this conglomeration of what can I do, act, live, say, think, be, yeah. so that people don't judge me. 
So it was liberating in that effect. Well, and that's so much of who we are till we hit rock bottom is we get exhausted from the construct of the person we've built to gain the love and affirmation and affection of other people. Mm-hmm. And then when we finally hit rock bottom in whatever way that means, mm-hmm. that can come in so many different avenues of life. Mm-hmm. Is then we are finally being invited to birth ourselves, to like Truly. get rid of the mask, get rid of the mm-hmm. bullshit. Like I know when I ended my engagement, the reason that moment was so profound for me is I didn't leave an abusive relationship or a relationship that was bad. She was a really wonderful woman. Mm-hmm. She is a really wonderful woman. It was that I finally made a decision that I was terrified of making because I knew mm-hmm. everyone would judge me. Mm-hmm. And I finally made a fucking decision for me that came mm-hmm. from my soul. Wow. And, you know, like growing up, playing sports and, you know, being able to, those things were, I chose everything from a perspective, like, you know, and it's like, when I looked back, I went, man, I haven't chosen most of my life. Mm-hmm. Of course, logically, I chose to go and do a finance degree and do, mm-hmm. you know, but if I had to actually choose from my deepest depths of what I was passionate mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. I never would have chosen a finance degree. I just <laughs> chose the thing that I thought I needed to do to make money, to take care of a family, because I was taught that I needed to be a good provider. Mm-hmm. I was taught not to kick up too much of a fuss, Mm -hmm. not to be control, not to be an aggressive male, not Mm -hmm. to be, you know, I confused boundaries with being controlling Mm -hmm. because I saw what the news was teaching us about men. Mm -hmm. So I, because no one explained it to me as a 10 year old, I had to interpret it through my 10 year old eyes, which is don't be like other men. Right. Be nice. Be nice. Be nice. It's got the same messaging. Yeah. Right. And I think we're like part of a whole generation of men that received that, which mm-hmm. then also um, gets expressed as anger, mm-hmm. not anger, aggression. Mm-hmm. Aggression. Relation. Right. Because it's, there's no like real safe avenue to, you keep getting walked on because you're afraid you're going to be an explosive male and then you become an explosive male, mm-hmm. you know? Because the highest offense, the way I grew up and with the way I was raised was the highest offense is upsetting the feminine. Mm-hmm. Be that your mother, be that your partner, be that your sister, be that just any woman. And so you, I would bury all of that, all of the, 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 like, but this is how I feel, but this is the truth. But I don't agree with this thing that you just said. I don't agree with how we're living. I would just bury that. And I had no choice, but to come out sideways, I had no choice, but to come out as p- holes punched in the wall or held down with a shit ton of alcohol, weed and denial. Yeah, I look back now and I can see like, you know, I had a couple previous girlfriends cheat on me and Mm -hmm. I look back and I'm like, well, I get why they did, you know, in some sense. One, I mean, we're young and they're exploring their own, you know, like there's a lot of different um, confounding factors. But one of them is that they kept testing me to see if I would stand up for myself and I never did. Right. It doesn't mean that cheating is the right way to go about testing someone. It's not at but all. But at the same time, I had no boundaries. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like, that's what happens when you get to a place where you knew long before you should have said, stop that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. And, and because I didn't say that, life takes itself to a place of what happens to somebody when they don't stand up for themselves. Right. And of course, it would be easy for me to blame them, but I'm part of the creation of, of all course. this. And of we course. need them, you know, just like 
you needed your wife to leave you and your business partner to leave you to wake you up. 100%. Work you're doing. One, I am a rat. It's like BCAD, right? Like that is the pivotal moment of my life that weekend. And everything I've built from it, including the sense of joy, the sense of peace, and the self esteem comes from that moment. So, so I'm not, it's not. I don't look back on it. Of course, I'd really rather, I'd really hope to, to not do it again. And I look back <laughs> yeah. on it. I'm like, well, that was fucking awful, but it was also the greatest catalyst of my life. So when I get guys that reach out, they're like, yeah, my, my wife just walked out. I'm like, fuck, that's so, I'm so sorry. And congratulations. That's, you know, when people like the revolution, said, right. Welcome to the revolution. I love that. Let's Cause when people say that. that, like my partner left or this happened or I lost my job, I'm like, mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Good. Like, I'm sorry you're going through that. Yeah. You just found the greatest source of motivation in the world, which is is heartbreak, anger, frustration. Yeah. It is, there is nothing that will make you change faster and choose yourself faster than you don't have a self to choose anymore previously. You can't Mm -hmm. abandon yourself anymore. That happened enough. Mm -hmm. That's why you're here. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You got to a place where someone left you to remind you, that you leave yourself every time you fucking don't speak up every time you don't stand up for yourself. And I, I think that's such a, a, a in, you're so deliberate with your work since that weekend, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and that, you know, I, having spent a bit of time with you now, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of weekends now when we've hung out, I know how deliberate you are with everything. You're very mm-hmm. present. You know, you inspired me as I told you on the weekend um, for everyone listening, we just got back from a good friend's wedding. And um, a, that group bachelor party was what, about four months ago? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was uh, the second weekend of January. Yeah, oh, sorry, a couple months ago, three months ago. And um, Trevor was telling me that he hadn't drank in four years and I'd been mm-hmm. feeling an intuitive pull to not drink anymore. Mm. So he inspired me and um, I, for the first time in my life, I went to a wedding and didn't have drinks. Like it was Amazing. actually, yeah, it was like, um, but it was a different part of me this time. Like where before I felt a lot of social constructs of, and for anyone listening, the reason I wanted to do that um, is because I felt like I'm still living by the social agreement that we need to drink in order to connect. Yeah. Um, which I don't drink very much, but I used to, you know, yeah. and I use it to numb. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still haven't disconnected from that agreement. Mm. So this was such a cool experience and you inspired it. Thank you. Yeah. Good for you. Thank you. As I said, it's a big move, man. It's a really big move, especially when you don't have to. You know, if you're that, chugging a pint of vodka before 8 a.m. in the morning, like you got to fucking stop drinking. Yeah. But when you say, wow, I think there's something on the other side of this decision. I want to see what life's like without those social contracts. I want to see what life's like as the guy who's broken them and how people react to me. Like I knew I was going to go into dating with as someone who was like, no, I don't drink. And I remember being terrified the first week, like, oh my God, some point I'm going to start dating again. And it has never, ever, ever been an issue. In fact, it's been the opposite. I don't know because I'm over 40, but I can't tell you how many women have been like, thank God. I've just been looking for someone who doesn't drink and didn't need to not drink because that says even more. But also, I know you're not going to have whiskey dick. I know you're not going to get in a drunk (laughs) argument with me. I know you're not going to crash your car on the way home. And by the way, all three of those things are like standard dating things nowadays. So super glad that you're not going to have any of them. I was like, wow, 
this is a bonus, right? But then had to deal with people who go, uh, what, do you, what do you actually do on a date if you don't drink? I'm like, I smile, I tell stories, I go bowling, I like throw hatchets. I, I don't know. Like I, we I go got, for coffee, we yeah, go for I walks. All kinds of stuff. I hang out in nature, I go for hikes. Like I actually listen to the person I'm talking to. I, yeah, it's crazy. Like what do you do? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to recognize that something is possible and to choose it rather than recognize something is possible and not. Mm. You know, I think that we often live in the pain of the regret of the choice that we didn't make that we knew was better for us. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, um, you know, through my own evolution and experience, I realized that for the majority of my life, before I was probably 32, um, I would learn things and not change. Like I would have a mistake and I'd know that a better behavior was available to me, mm-hmm. but I would not choose that better behavior. And then I started to recognize that like I made a rule that I would always live at my highest level of knowledge, mm. but then I couldn't now knowing that rule, then I can't, you know, um, Paul Selig, I was listening to a book of his and he said in it, um, it's like being a fish in an aquarium and learning there's an ocean and trying to go back to the aquarium and pretending yeah. you don't know there's an ocean. Right. And I think that's true that's, of all better behaviors. Yeah. Isn't it? It's like yeah. such a great way of conceptualizing that a choice outside of the roles you pick in your life or the mask you wear, right. you know that there is a life without those things. Yeah. But you still choose to engage in those things. Then you are choosing to participate in agreements that society has created with you. Mm-hmm. That is a role you're taking on that is not you. Mm-hmm. And so through people, breakups, heartbreaks, things. Trauma. Yeah. We have completely created who at least we think in this moment is who we are. Right. And what a freeing life that is. Like you said, you got out of there and you said to your friends, like what? Like imagine no judgment. Yeah. What was it? Imagine no judgment. Imagine that there, first of all, there are no rules that you can do whatever you want because guess what? You're still going to die. And that doesn't mean like go, go walk out on your wife and kids and move to Costa Rica. Yeah. But if you want to do something, do it right there. They're, you're not going to be here in 40 years anyway, or 50 years anyway. So go do it. Don't judge yourself and ignore societal judgment upon you. Have a good crew of friends, like have a core group of people that are also in the arena that you're in. And if they're telling you that you're out of integrity, you're out of integrity mm. and live by that, that you can reframe everything. And keep people around you who tell you when you're full of shit. Yeah. You know, that's the best. It's the best. Dude, I care about you. Yeah. And you're not living at your highest potential. Especially, I'm not not a woman, but I say especially for men. Mm -hmm. We need that so badly now more than ever. When the challenge of what is the masculine exists and men's lack of integrity is smeared across headlines every morning or it's across any other form of media, or it's across just every woman that you know, her history and her biography. Mm-hmm. Right now, more than ever, we need guys to say, hey, you can do better. And you asked a question earlier that we didn't get to, which was what can people do to get their, their male partners on board for change? And the shittiest answer I have, but it's the only one, is they need to hear that from other men. Mm-hmm. They need men to call them forward. We need men to call us forward. It's like some, there's part of our brain that I think goes, oh, a dude told me that. I'll do it. 
And that same part of our brain is like completely dead half the time when a woman tells us or our partner tells us like, hey, you need to do this. Like, uh, no, don't. Dude says the exact same thing. Hey, my buddy just came up with this genius idea, right? How many times have I, I know a lot of frustrated women that are like, that was my idea six months ago. I was like that in my marriage. Should I, I'd be like, hey, guess what? Eric said this great thing today. She's like, yeah, I told you that four months ago. Like, hmm. You're like, I don't know that you did. I don't. <laughs> and they're like, no, because women remember everything. Yeah. For centuries. <laughs> So what else from your year of, of um, bucket listing, what were your greatest takeaways from it? And what were some of the other things you did? Um, you know, hospice, Mark, it was a, a trip and a half, right? Like that whole experience of sitting with people who are dying and being with people who were that ill and realizing that um, how much they just wanted my presence, like I didn't have to be a professional fighter. I didn't have to be a gym owner. I didn't have to be a guy with a wife. I didn't have to be anybody, but I, all I had to be was present. And that lesson over and over and over was so reaffirming, especially at a time when I felt like I had nothing to offer the world. I felt like I had nothing to offer anybody. I just gotten my dick kicked in the dirt. Right? I was at like ground zero self-esteem, yet could sit across from someone who was at the lowest point of their existence, bedridden, just shit themselves in a diaper. Like this is in a public hospice in New Mexico. There's not a lot of money. And just having them say, God bless you for showing up and spending two hours with me today. Like, thank you for and feeling it. Like, fuck, I just affected this guy's transition out. You know, that whole experience was, um, I'm going to write a book on that whole experience, on the whole year, but that section was monumental of just the, the honor of being with people at their most vulnerable, literally most vulnerable. And when for most of them, they've been abandoned by society, they don't have family coming to visit, they're just waiting to die. And yet they had stories for me. They would make me laugh. Like they, those guys, God bless them. Um, those guys did more for me than I ever did for them. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and that's not just cliche. Yeah. I walked in there a fucking mess. Was that the first thing you did? It was the very first thing. The first thing was I had a conversation with the two women, uh, one apologizing and one asking what was the hardest. The, those are powerful experiences. I, um, yeah. I never shared an article I wrote. That happens a lot. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> when you write something and then, yeah, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to ever share this. But I wrote this article called, um, Do You Think About the Hearts You Break? Mm. Or You Broke? Mm-hmm. And the idea being, like, I'd read this um, or I'd listened to this talk from Carolyn Mace where she said, There's many people in therapy, right, to get yeah. over you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. For every person you're taking a personal growth course to get over, someone's taking one to get over you. Or yeah, and I, I love that that line stuck with you. I too. love it. It's so true. It's so true. And I started to think like, who have I wronged mm-hmm. that I hurt that could hear from me? Mm-hmm. And I started to realize that apologies are not doors back open. Apologies are not for. Um, they're not for us really, you know, in some sense they are, they're relieving to know that we've come to terms and shame gets uh, 
I feel like we alchemize mm-hmm. when we do that. Like it's a solvent to, mm-hmm. to say sorry. And I know for me, it, it created a lot of, um, it created clear spaces between me and previous people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because over time I start to collect more people. I think I might've hurt mm-hmm. and write them. And you don't, you know, you don't get it for a reply that says, thank God I needed this. Cause that's mm-hmm. not always what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do it in order to say like, I just want you to know that you were worthy of more. And I didn't know that then because I, you know, I really I wrote to someone not so long ago that I said, um, I'm sorry that I shared my hurt with you mm. instead of sharing what you were worthy of. Mm. And um, I think it's very healing to do that. And so I'm so happy to hear that you did that with two past partners and also finding out how you showed up. That's just real. Yeah. 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 That was a wild conversation. <laughs> this was someone that I had dated for, I'd lived with for five years and then we broke up uh, and I hadn't really, I talked to her on and on. Like we still had a good relationship, mm-hmm. but man, to sit down and say, I want you to be brutally honest what was the hardest part about being with me? And then for me to hear almost verbatim words that my ex-wife said. Wow. So you see the pattern. And I was like, okay, fuck. I'm, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and all the thing, I can't be like, look at all you, why are you guys all calling me a duck? <laughs> so much of it was about not being present. It's, I know it sounds cliche, but like my ex, that woman said, I would sit in a room with you and you wouldn't be in the room with me. I, I watched your mind. I watched you like take notes because I would have like a notebook with me of like business ideas and shit. She like, you just never were fucking there ever. Mm. And I was like, Oh wow. But, 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 or I would say continuously, you know, just give me a couple more months and everything's going to change. Just give me a couple more months and everything's going to change. And it wasn't about like, challenges with myself. It was my life situation. It was, I won't work three jobs. I'll be here on weekends. I'll do, I'll be, you know, like I'll be engaged in this relationship. And I had said that to my ex-wife for five years, same thing. Like just, just, you know, next year is going to be different. Next year is going to be different. Next year is going to be different. And if you want to hear a, a, like it was the universe watching story, Mark, the night before my ex left, I was journaling. This was early in the year maybe early January and I hadn't written new year's goals. And since I was, I was like a swimmer in second grade, they're like, write your goals down. So for, you know, 35 years, I've gotten goals written down on paper mm-hmm. that year. I remember writing, like, I'm not writing goals this year. I'm not doing anything until I quit drinking until I quit smoking dope until I actually find a fucking voice until I start writing again, until I'm like have the ability to stand up and speak for what I actually want. No fucking goals. And I close the notebook and then less than 12 hours later, she's gone. And poof, this whole process starts. You get what you asked for. And I got what I asked for. Wow. I love that. I think that that's such an important Again, Carol, no, I think it is Carolyn Mace. No, it might have been Abraham Hicks, now that I think about it. Mm -hmm. She said that when you make a request, let's say for a dream relationship, right? Or whatever it is that you request, that when bad, what you perceive as bad things happening to you or lessons being learned or stumbling, Mm -hmm. 
It's because if you are paying attention, it is getting all the things you need to learn into place to get the thing that you say you want. Mm. And so when you make something as such a high, beautiful, conscious goal Mm -hmm. of being fully present, being engaged, being Mm -hmm. the best version of yourself, it does align everything for you to get there if you're listening. Mm -hmm. And what a beautiful sentiment um, that you made that request. And then, well, as the universe does, it listens. And then, you know, God or whatever is the the thing that people praise and and call whatever it is. Um, So on that note, uh, I'm going to make sure that I share your TED Talks in the show notes. So please Please. that Um, because you have two, you have, uh, what is it? One is how to make pain your guru, which I actually did on the year to live project. That's amazing. So we'll make sure we share that. And what's the other one? Um, why we need more uncivilized men. Amazing. Okay. So we'll share both of those and where else can people find you? Uh, you can find, I do most of my work or most of my public work on Instagram, which is at Traver Bohm, T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. And if people are interested about uh, Man Uncivilized, the program, they can go to www.manuncivilized.com. And I actually blogged for the year, for the Year to Live Project, which is on my own personal website, which is just my name, Traver, T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M.com. And you just find the blogs under uh, Year to Live Project. Perfect. So we'll make sure we link out your site, your Instagram, all that kind of stuff. My friend... Man, I know that we need to have another one because we almost went 90 minutes and crushed it. (laughs) We're going to have plenty more to talk about. Exactly. So thanks so much for being on today, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I truly appreciate it. 